Hi, it's Laurie here. Have you ever thought about starting a podcast, but you're unsure where to start? Whether you want to integrate podcasting into your classes or create a space to share a topic you're passionate about, I'm here to help. On July the 1st, I'm hosting a practical online workshop on how to podcast, a beginner's guide to planning and recording the first episode. In this 90-minute workshop, you'll learn how to pinpoint your podcast audience and message, identify the best format and recording setup, as well as gain insight into best practices in creating content that serves your audience. You'll also gain exclusive access to the workshop recording so you can review on demand as well as materials to support you on your podcasting journey. Seats are limited so grab a ticket before they sell out and as a TESOL Pop listener you get a discount. Use TESOL Pop 10 at checkout for 10% off. Now here's the show. TESOL Pop Season 6 Episode 3 Hello and welcome to TESOL Pop, the mini podcast for busy teachers. My name is Laura and joining me today to talk about using L1 in the classroom is Adrienne Slapper. Adrienne is an ESL and EAL specialist originally from Hungary, but is now residing in Kuala Lumpur. Before taking on an EAL leadership role in an international school, she worked for the British Council and International House. She currently serves on the IATEFL Young Learner and Teen Special Interest Group and is also an active blogger on her site, sharing her experience about EAL. A very warm welcome to the show, Adrienne. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. In today's episode, we'll look at different scenarios when the student's first language, often referred to as L1, can be used to celebrate and support learning that happens in the language classroom. In this episode, we will unpack various scenarios and share tips on communicating to students and stakeholders the value L1 in the classroom has to offer. As with many TESOL POP episodes, today's topic is relevant to many teaching contexts, whether you teach ELT or other subjects, face-to-face or online. So why not continue the conversation by sharing today's episode with your fellow teaching community? I think a good place to start, Adrienne, would be why you chose this topic and why you're so passionate about it. Uh, well, I have been passionate about this for a while. Um, and it goes back to, to my my years of learning English when my teachers in Hungary often reverted to Hungarian, mostly explaining grammar and translating words and we had to do so just so much translation in class and preparing for exams and I never found it useful so when I became a teacher I went down the Salta route and so I didn't use uh, Hungarian for teaching English and it worked and so I didn't let my students use Hungarian either and then when I became uh, a Delta candidate uh, my mentor um, challenged me to review some of my views and what I found was that well actually um, using Hungarian or allowing my young learners to use Hungarian in the classroom um, was really motivating for them and it can be useful for them for learning English and then when I was tasked with setting up the EAL department in an international school outside of Kuala Lumpur where a high percentage of the student population requires the EAL support um, there were many obstacles and one of the biggest ones that I had to face was that the school had this English only policy that just did not fit it did not fit the setting um and so um i started advocating for my students when i saw that allowing them access to their mother tongue um was helping them succeed in in lessons especially in a high um pressure environment where not only were they learning english but they were learning subjects in english so um you know just letting them access some of the materials in their own language was a game changer. Let's continue on that journey. I have a few scenarios here that I'm going to pitch to you and then maybe we can unpack what would you do in that scenario and have you even been in that scenario? Shall we get started? Scenario one, 
you are assigned a multilingual group of learners who speak various languages. In this case, there is not a single dominant L1 shared among the group, although there are groups of students who share the same language as either an L1 or a second language. As a result, there are varying levels of languages spoken within this diverse group. How would you encourage the multiple L1s of this group to be used in a way that supports learning of English? I used to find this very challenging and I still do sometimes, but um, with you know experience, I feel like I'm, I'm learning uh, more tricks and tips that work. So the ba- basic idea is that, um, that the learner's mother tongue is there to serve as support or a scaffolding uh, for the learner so that they can do the task in the target language. Um, And so the first thing that I think um, a teacher should do in this situation is group the learners according to L1. So if there are students who share an L1, then group them together. So, you know, that's uh, that's uh, step one. Now, what if you have students who don't share an L1 with anybody? Well, that's a bit of an issue. But then it's worth thinking about, is this a strategy that is going to work in my classroom? Um, and alternatively, can I support can I support those students or provide any kind of scaffold for them um, that replaces the peers who speak the same language? So maybe can I give them access to the internet and allow them to research the topic in uh, in their mother tongue or um, any other support that you might have access to? Can you bring in a TA who who speaks that language, for instance? Um, so it's, it really is something that you need to think about carefully before you start the lesson. Then um, the task also needs to be clearly defined um, and there needs to be rules in place uh, so that your learners know when and for what they can use their mother tongue. Um, for instance, you might allow them to brainstorm together in their uh, first language groups in the first language. And in my experience, this actually often helps loads because Uh, When learners have access to their mother tongue during that initial stage of an activity, when they're coming up with ideas, they can tap into their previous learning much more easily than if you ask them to stick to English, where they might not know the words that they need. And then this also provides a great opportunity to teach them the language that they need in that moment. Um, And so the learning can actually um, initiate from there. And then also thinking about what kind of support materials we can um, provide for our students that's in their mother tongue. For instance, can we create, you know, using Google Translate, can we create different versions of a handout so that they can rely on that? Or can we allow them to bring in uh, bilingual dictionaries? Um, And depending on the school policy, this might simply mean that they have access to the Internet um, or or bilingual books or, or checking what's available in the library if the school has a library. That was terrific. I think um, I think that's a lot for scenario one. Are you ready to move on to scenario two? Yeah, let's move on. So for scenario two, you have a group of students with whom you share the same language, whether it's your L1 or another language that you you know and understand. During lessons, students frequently turn to you to ask questions and communicate in the shared language instead of in the language of study. I've been here and I'm sure you've been here before as well, Adrienne. How do you react in this scenario? Well, interestingly, this is exactly what I experimented with uh, during the Delta. And in the past... Um, I would have been like, can you please speak English? Like reminding them of the classroom rules or pointing to the classroom contract on the wall or something along those lines. But um, contrary to what I expected, um, what I found during that Delta experience is that, well, actually allowing them access to the mother tongue helps. So then why not? When my learners then asked, 
whether they're allowed to use um, their mother tongue in follow-up lessons as well. I thought, well, okay, let's see how it works. And it worked really well. Um, but I still stuck to my guns and I only spoke English to them. But it freed them up completely that I would actually respond to their contributions, whether it was in English or not. Now, I would never discourage a learner to speak their first language um, because I, I would worry that they might feel like I'm disrespecting their cultural or linguistic heritage. Um, and that's not a good place to start out from. And um, they might just disengage, especially if they are really young. Um, then, you know, not allowing them to speak the language that they're comfortable in might mean that they don't know or don't dare telling you that they need the toilet. And that can just lead to disaster. And you don't want the child to feel anxious. I think, you know, what we need to remember is that as their English fluency grows, um, we can always encourage them to speak English more and more. Um, but once we've built that trust of it doesn't matter what language you speak to me as long as you speak or as long as you engage, um, then I think they trust us more and they hopefully will be more willing to make mistakes in English as well. And then it's also important that we acknowledge all contributions, uh, regardless of the language that they speak. And I think this goes for any age group, but especially those of us who work with really young children, um, just taking their answers without, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, for penalizing them for saying it in the wrong language. Um, I think, you know, it's just imagine like playing a game in the classroom and you really, really, you know the answer, you just don't get the word in English um, and then shouting it out in your first language and still scoring the point because that is the answer, even though it's in, uh, not in the right language, I think is much more motivating than me reminding you that, oh, you should have said that in English. Um, right? And then we can take that opportunity and then talk about, well, what is that word in English? How do we say that? 100% with you. I think that's so many good ideas in that scenario. We've got a few more scenarios to get through. Do you think we can do one or two more? Yeah, let's see what comes up next. <laughs> let's do it. Scenario three, you're teaching in a school that has an English only policy as a measure to try and encourage students and staff to immerse themselves in using the language. This semester, you have been informed that you have new students joining your classes who have a lower level or limited English. How would you react in this scenario? I think step one is uh, talk to senior leadership. Uh, whether that's your line manager or whether you can go directly to your DOS or principal or whoever, um, I think it's it's worth having a chat first. <laughs> um, and, you know, consider yourself lucky that you got some, um, some advance notice because often we don't. We just end up having these learners in the, in the classroom. In my experience, school leadership is ready to listen uh, when things are presented from the perspective of the learners and the learning and how we can support that. Um, I, they are not in the business of creating obstacles, um, but they might not realize, um, mm. you know, the realities of life for a learner who is new to the country, new to the school, new to the language, or all of the above at the same time. Um, so you might even be able to advocate for, for a change in the policy um, if, if uh, you know, you have their ear. Um, but it's definitely worth trying as like step one. And then... There are lots of things that you can do, lots of little things and tweaks that you can do in the classroom. So I would make the rules related to L1 um, and L1 use clear and visible. And I think this is key here because if you have a very young learners 
or learners who are completely new to English and maybe even new to the script, they won't be able to read anything. So making it, it visual um, and then sticking that on the wall somewhere um, provides support for you as well when you're referring to those rules. And then um, it's much easier to, um, to get them involved with these rules as well. Um, and then, yeah, catering for pre-readers, right? If you have those very young learners, then um, visuals are the way to go anyways. Uh, maybe consider whether you could set up a body system. Um, again, if you have uh, matching first languages, that's great. Um, but even if not, maybe just having a buddy who is uh, patient enough to work with the learner who is completely new to, to the language um, is a great support. At least they have that one friend that they can turn to for sure. And then, you know, for those of us who work as EAL specialists, it is part of our job to liaise with subject teachers and often to go into a subject teacher's classroom and work with the learners there. Um, so one of the things that I end up doing a lot is, is trying to raise their awareness of these learners' language needs. Because let's face it, teacher training around the world, unless you come from an ELT background, doesn't usually teach you much about language acquisition. But the realities of the world is that most of your classrooms will have multilingual learners. And if you live in Southeast Asia, like I do, most of your learners will be multilingual learners. So knowing a little bit about how children and just people in general learn languages can actually um, help a lot. And then, you know, it's important to remember that, that uh, teachers, all teachers want their students to succeed, but they might not know that just simply breaking down their instructions and making it um, a demonstration instead of a long list of sentences can make a giant difference and maybe more of their learners will be able to um, actually do the task. So just pointing out little things like that um, can really help the teacher and then ultimately the learner uh, in that classroom. You mentioned the buddy system there, and I think there's such um, crossover for buddying with teachers as well. So not just the learners, but the teachers. And some of the greatest things that have come um, that have come in my like teaching moments, my light bulb moments, have been when I've been ob observing another teacher. And I think if you can do that, like you say, you, you can unpack like, oh, that worked really well. How you gave instructions in that? I'm going to try that. And you can have like a coffee afterwards with the teacher to talk about things. And I think that's a wonderful thing to kind of help share across subjects because often when I've been teaching in some settings like you say um, the subjects don't always mix and there's such missed opportunities of great practices like you say a lot of teachers now do have learners who don't speak English or they have multiple languages that they speak and not necessarily the language that they're studying in is their first language so it can be really helpful to have this kind of crossover and buddying I like that I like that analogy buddy system. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really true. Uh, we can buddy up as adults as well. Why not? Actually, you know what? You've just given me a great idea that I'm going to take back to work with me now. <laughs> Maybe we can have a buddy system with the EAL team and the rest of uh, the departments. Oh, that's great. Let me know how that goes. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> For more tips and ideas, then you can follow Adrienne on her blog space. Her website is ealdiaries.com. I'll also put a link to her LinkedIn page as well. And those links are all in the show notes and on the website for you to easily find. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer or you have an idea like Adrienne did to pitch for an episode, then you can contact us via Instagram, Facebook or the website tsopop.com. Thank you.